Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. Welcome back to Real Estate Investing Abundance. I'm your host, Dr. Alan. Thank you so much for being with us again today. And we're going to take a look at how we can compare investment risks between asset classes. And with us to share on this topic is Dave Codray, and he is the co-founder and partner of Greenleaf Capital Partners, where he leads the integration and growth of the investment and operational aspects of a full-service real estate firm. Greenleaf acquires, operates, and services all of the investments it makes and is committed to long-term cash flow-driven investing. Welcome, Dave, and take us into the show and share a memorable experience that helped you to be who you are today. Thanks, Alan. I'm excited to be here and, and ready for an enjoyable conversation. Kicking things off, you know, with the experience side of things, I in life, I mean, now and even when I when I grew up, I was always interested in uh, challenging situations. So, I, one thing I remember pretty specifically was going on a adventure trip with some buddies of mine, and we were in the northern uh, woods of Minnesota. So it's pretty remote to get started, and we have all this gear, and we're going out for about a week and a half on on this canoe and fishing trip, and we're way mm-hmm. out in the middle of the woods, and and we're getting dropped off and. Typically in those type of situations, you always ask the guy that's dropping you off, like, hey, can you you take a picture of us? You know, we're we're going on this trip, we're excited. It's kind of a thing you do. You're on vacation, you ask someone to take a picture of you. And we did that, and then that was fine. And at the end of that, he's like, Hey guys, hold on. He's like, You got you guys mind if I take a picture of you guys? Because he's like, I have never seen anyone come out here with all this crap that you guys have. I don't know how you're gonna make this. So we're like, hmm. That's interesting. Why? So yeah, so he takes a picture of us and Fast forward 10 days and he's picking us back up and we get there and, and he's waiting for us. He's like, I cannot believe you guys finished. He's like, I did not expect to see you at all. So it was, <laughs> it was a situation where the, you know, the local and experienced person was questioning a little bit of what we were doing, but uh, it was not an easy trip. It was probably one of the hardest ones I've done, but uh, we did it together. We got through it. It was, it was a lot of fun and uh, definitely an enjoyable, enjoyable situation to be in with, with some good friends. Yeah. Well, I've done some backcountry backpacking too. When I was uh, much younger and had no clue what I was doing, but I made it through too. (laughs) (laughs) It's life. You kind of make it through. You don't know. I always have a guidebook for, but you get, you get through it. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Well, let's talk about uh, comparing risk between uh, asset classes and so what are some of the strategies that you employ, Dave, to measure risk between multifamily in particular and other commercial asset classes? Yeah, for us, when we're looking at an opportunity, we kind of try and boil it down to what has to work for this deal to be successful. So is it is it you're buying a multifamily deal and, and you just need to increase occupancy or do you need rents to go up? You need to do renovations. Like, how many things have to go right for this deal to work? So then we can look at multiple deals at the same time and, and figure out on a, on a basic level, like how many things have to go right. You know, you need seven, eight, nine, ten things to go right for this deal work, and all of a sudden, you know, 
just mm-hmm. comparing assets by that that metric, you can get an idea of uh, mm-hmm. how's this going to go here. I got, I got to really have all the stars aligned for this thing to work, or is it? Look, I I just got to get one or two things to go my way, and, and this is going to be a good return. So trying to take things and look mm-hmm. at it, keeping it simple, as opposed to trying to get too sophisticated and how how some of the analysis goes into looking at an investment opportunity. Well, that is, uh, that's an interesting strategy. I don't think I've ever really thought of looking at it from that comparative point of view, but it makes a whole lot of sense because, well, the more things that you have to get right, the uh, more chances are that just one of those things going wrong can screw up the whole the whole process there. So I'll have to keep that in mind as I'm looking at different opportunities. Well, what do you mean when you're talking about boots on the ground experience with tenants and uh, how does that impact uh, the investment returns? Yeah, so taking that strategy of like how we look at deals, you know, we've been the property manager on all of the assets that we've operated. So, you know, we're out there doing maintenance. We are leasing units across multiple asset classes, handling evictions from a medical group, mobile home park, or an apartment. So there's a lot of stuff that goes into operating real estate. And, and a lot of the experiences you have, are it, it's just knowledge that you can gain and apply to the next acquisition that you're going to make. Uh, so we really look at that as a benefit. Not only you know we have control over how the assets perform, but we really continually learning and then applying that to future decisions we're making in any investment. And, and we've really learned a lot doing it in that format. You know, One, it, it does inhibit growth. So it, it's hard to scale an acquisitions organization and a management company at the same time. It's kind of like varying stair steps of how mm-hmm. they work together. So there's some challenges to that, but we think the benefits certainly have outweighed uh, you know, the challenges that we face from it. And really having a good understanding of how these things work, it can hone in on what you want to be buying because you are directly seeing either the cost to replace bad subflooring or if you got to relocate power in a commercial building, it's like it's not that easy. You're you're gonna you're gonna need time, you're gonna need resources and permitting to be able to make that stuff happen. So it gives you a better idea when you're when you're putting a pro forma together, when you're trying to figure out what could go right, what could go wrong, having that experience in the back of your head really helps. Yeah, that is a, a very valuable experience and one that that I don't know really how you can, can obtain that other than through that school of hard knocks. And that's where I came from and that's where I learned uh, property management was uh, with boots on the ground. From your experiences, what is the most valuable lesson you have learned from that? Is it is it really learning how to manage tenants? Is that what's important? Or is it learning to really manage the facility? I would, I would say it's probably more mental in the standpoint that something is going to go wrong. It's a guarantee, like something's going to go wrong. And looking at that from a standpoint of my organization, what I believe I'm here to do is, is find problems and solve them. So mm-hmm. sometimes if a deal is going perfectly well, it's like, look, the problem just hasn't hit yet and it's going to happen. And you've got to figure out and get through it. And it's not going to be easy because if it were easy, just everyone would do it. So it's more, you know, welcoming problems and seeing that as an opportunity versus always, uh, man, there's another disaster that's got to kind of be solved. We've had everything from fires to floods mm-hmm. and crime, you, you name it, 
over 15 years, we've seen a ton of different things that have happened on, on a variety of asset classes. And just knowing, look, you, you've got a good team, you got to work together and and uh, you can get through a lot of uh, you can get through a lot of stuff if you have a, a longer viewpoint on stuff versus a a day by day putting fires out. Right. Yeah, I had uh, one investor tell me that you're really not a seasoned investor until you've had a fire, a death, <laughs> and a lawsuit. Uh, so yeah, you've got to learn how to deal with with issues and with problems and learn how to to work through those things for sure. Yeah, there's cost effective ways to handle that stuff and and. It's not the first time someone's had a fire. It's not the first time there's been a lawsuit. It's never like uncharted territory for the most part. It might feel like when you're in that moment, you're like, oh my gosh, how is anyone doing this? But, uh, but it's not. And, and there are, there are people out there that are, that are more than willing to help. And we even, I mean, our investor base has been a huge help over the years, uh, providing us with, you know, everything from guidance to introductions to people that can help to, sharing their experiences. It's, it's been a, you know, good relationships. Well, what is the best way to go about, uh, finding, uh, properties and, and I guess what is your, um, what is your buying criteria? Yeah. So finding opportunities when we're, when we're looking for stuff, it depends a little bit about what your overall goal is for us. We want to make sure that we're looking at an opportunity that we can actually buy. So we we don't do anything really off market. We only do stuff through brokers because I think that most of the time, yeah, a broker's not really going to waste their time. So a lot of times they're bringing deals to the table that they know can a deal can be done, whether you're far apart or close together or not. Like, look, there could still be something that happens versus kind of going out and searching for deals. So we're always looking for broker relationships that can help us in the standpoint of finding the exact type of deal we want. And then we want to make sure, you know, we can close in a reasonable time. You know, we want to be good to the seller because they might have more stuff that they could they could sell or they'd be looking to unload and, and make the process really as smooth as possible. We typically do like 15, maybe 20 deals a year uh, on the high end 20 price. So we can't spend like nine months trying to get a deal closed. It just takes too long. So mm-hmm. we're, we're looking for, you know, 60 day close periods that we can execute in and Stuff that we're looking for, you know, we're in a we're in a bunch of different asset classes, uh, but right now one of the key things is single story office that we're we're trying to acquire throughout the southeast, and we found good opportunities to to pick up those assets and convert them into different uses that have been. This has been fun projects, like it's a definitely a problem of like, hey, what are you going to do with this space? And you know, mm-hmm. there's we've got a billion extra cubicles if anyone needs any. <laughs> so we're like, where are we going to put these things? And what are we going to do with them? But they're fun assets to turn around and, and we like how they're constructed. You know, we're looking at basically 16 foot ceilings with brick walls and, uh, you know, obviously single story glass windows on the outside so we can convert stuff. So, it, you know, that's what we're looking for there. But, you know, we buy a lot of triple net lease deals. We're looking at higher cap rates right now. It's the one little benefit of rising rates is some of those net lease deals you're getting higher cap rates on, which has been good. So we love medical assets too that yeah. are that are single tenant medical. We've been picking those up for a few years and, and those have always performed well if you have the right if you have the right operator that's in place there. And a lot of the commercial relationships are on, you know, who's actually gonna be the tenant and who's gonna operate it. We we haven't bought too much multifamily in the past uh really three years. It's kind of mm-hmm. just been expensively priced. And you know, we we own stuff around, you know, around the Great Recession time and coming out of that. And 
there's lessons and experiences learned from that that we want you know we want to be we want to rem- remember those those situations and so yeah, we haven't bought that much multifamily recently but looking at getting back in in maybe 2024 if there's some some stuff that creeps up there on the opportunity block yeah who knows what's coming down yeah it's hard it's like it's anyone's guess what could happen right so it's like you can't really just say hey i'm gonna wait till this perfect moment in time yeah well what are you uh you said you're getting into single uh story offices and uh, converting those what are you converting them to right now we're converting them to a mix of office flex which there's is i think maybe more a primarily southeast type asset uh but it's it's essentially roll up doors in the back with high ceilings led lights concrete mm-hmm. floors wide open space and the, and then about 10% of the space is left as office with a few offices or a conference room and bathrooms up there and stuff so we've got a, a good array of tenants that are that are using that space Sometimes they're just parking, you know, work trucks inside there, or they've got some equipment inside there, uh, um, or they're using it as distribution or lab testing type center. So there's a there's a bunch of uses for it that are able to work, and, and the rents decent decent amount cheaper than regular office space. Mm-hmm. So it's a good kind of uh, you know you're moving in, you need you need to use it right now type tenant. It's not you know highly built out space. Mm-hmm. Enlightened investors, if you haven't done so already, be sure and click that like button and also click that share so others can take advantage of the content. And finally, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our upcoming episodes. Well, uh, creativity goes into that, I would think. And um, and certainly knowing what your tenant base is going to be, how did you discover this as a possibility for conversion? Oh, we're just looking in the market in Atlanta and there's, in even the suburbs of Atlanta, there's this kind of industrial flex space and the demand for it has been really high. Occupancy has stayed high uh, over the past two years and rents have grown significantly over the past, I mean, over the past 10 years, we're typically a longer term investor, but over the past 10 years, rents have gone up a lot. You know, from like the four dollar a square foot range to the twelve dollar a square foot range in a, in a in a ten year period there. So, from that standpoint, we're like, okay, if there's ninety seven, ninety eight percent occupancy, we can probably add some supply into that segment. And we've only really done that in infill locations that are areas where you can't really build new stuff. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at in an area where there it's really hard to add supply. So there's not a lot of other there's not any new construction that's going to it's going to add into uh, where we're at or the markets mm-hmm. that we're competing in directly and by I mean market it's not like the southeast market i mean like hey this specific road like mm-hmm. are they going to be able to add more on this road and this access point or not so cuz you know multifamily and, and residential you can justify some some pretty healthy prices on on building things out and converting stuff but that doesn't really work on the flex mm-hmm. space you know your your cost and unit cost and stuff can't be where it is on the residential side or a higher end side. So there's only a few situations where it actually works in, in a specific area. Yeah. So you really have to know your area and your region and know what's going on there on a real intimate basis. And uh, let's see, talk about the physical uh, value add versus structure uh, value add. Yeah. So we, when we look at, you know, Greenleaf and what we're trying to do, we're trying to get to cash flow as soon as we can. 
And, and I think most people look at like an investor, like, hey, how do I get to Castle as, as soon as I can? And, and, you know, it doesn't always work out perfectly. Not every deal has, has you know, been, uh, been amazing. But if for general purposes, we're able to get to cash flow faster by we're not a developer. So we don't build stuff. You know, we try and limit our physical outside work. We don't want to like, we're not like adding stories or doing crazy renovations. I mean, we'll do improvements. Don't get me wrong. We'll do full interiors, but, but we're trying to keep stuff to like, what's our skill set that we know we can execute and we know, we know we can control. And that helps us, I believe, to, uh, complete our business plans with a greater opportunity of success. And that just goes back to that very beginning of like, how, how do you kind of look at an opportunity? It's like, how many things have to go right? You know, you start talking about more and more complex renovations. It's like more and more things have to go right for this deal to work. So we're trying to say like, hey, what's the minimum amount of things that we can do to get this deal right? You know, and that's why we like that office to flex conversion scenarios. Like, hey, we, we have to really do well at demo and keep that under control price-wise. And then make sure we have a size building and a layout that works. And we can control most of those two factors. So we feel like we're in a good spot on these investments and we can do it relatively quickly. So we only really need two things on, on that side to go right. Now there's other, you know, supply and there's other demand issues you gotta, you gotta be looking at, but we don't, it's not a new development. So it's a lot faster. Yeah. So what are the the primary metrics that you are looking at? You look at the operations with the fewest amount of things that need to go right as part of your metric, and you look at the speed of turning all that around. And you, you do do renovations, uh, but what is your, your primary metric when you're looking at uh, an acquisition? We look at the build quality. As one thing, you know, we have to make sure we have the type of parking and the ratios and the build construction quality that we want to have. And then we're always looking at our gross payback period and our net payback period. So this is kind of just a, you know, a high level. Like if we're, what are we paying per square foot and how long is it going to take us to earn that money back? So we're typically not buying the very high end or high priced assets because the payback period is a lot longer. So we want to, we want to look at assets that are in the $80 a square foot range. That if we can rent them for twelve to fifteen dollars a square foot, then we're in good shape with how we operate. So as long as it checks the box on the physical requirements and it's got a, a location that works for us, and then we're going to go in there and say, "Hey, what is our price per square foot?" Because that's really where, you know, we see everything happening. And mm-hmm. you know, it's not it's not perfect. There's obviously there's more stuff that goes into that, but we want to be on the lower end so we can charge lower rents, not necessarily down the higher end. So we have to charge higher rent. So we want to be lower uh, on our price points. We think that's an easier situation to uh, work with tenants and, and get people to move around. So where is your your primary market? So we're based out of Atlanta, but we're really focused on the Southeast and markets that are growing in the Southeast. So everything along 85 corridor that goes from Atlanta up through Greenville and Charlotte and into Raleigh, we like all of those cities along that path. And it also helps us from a standpoint of we can acquire assets in that in that footprint and then we can also operate because you know we got to get be able to get to all these properties as well and and be there and see how they're going so 85 you know the 85 highway that connects all those cities together is a pretty natural you know growth path we have a few things in Chattanooga Tennessee as well which is kind of just the other way out of Atlanta yeah um, but we really focus along 85 and certainly that is is a high growth area tremendous growth in the last 20 years and it doesn't appear that that is going to be 
letting up any. So you're in all kinds of assets from office, office conversions, self-storage, mobile home parks, triple net. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about triple net. What is different about triple net uh, than other acquisitions? I mean, triple net leases are predominantly traded based on debt. You know, So they're, you're, for the most part, what we're looking at with that is national branded tenants that have longer term leases. So those things get bid down pretty well based on whatever prevailing debt rates are. So if you can get debt at 6%, you know, how much of a spread are you willing to take above that for your return on that deal? You know, maybe one and a half, two points above that. So when we look at our value opportunities in the net lease space, it's really what is your relationship with that operator? How are they going to run that location? Is it a good location compared to the other locations in that chain? As you start a national operator, if they have underperforming stuff, they're they will make the business decision that's best. They're not going to be uh, as emotionally tied to a one location versus another as, as would uh, you know kind of a mom and pop operator. So it's got to be a strong performing location. And if you've got a good brand that's growing with a strong operator in a good location, you know that's a it's a great opportunity for just long term stable cash flow. So we we've liked those opportunities in really just in that vein of uh, mm-hmm. you know, one avenue where not a whole lot of things have to be changed or done. And you can, you know, if you, if you're in a situation, you can sign a long-term lease with one of these assets and you get, you know, a 10 year, almost 10 year lease as the most time I have a 10 year guarantee that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to pay every time, or there could be some negotiating along the way, but you have a pretty good steady stream of income. Uh, and, that, and that's why we like that space, especially with the operators. You know, we're going to basically brands that we want to be at you know, that we eat out of like we did Zaxby's. So, okay. We're, we like Zaxby's. It's a good, we're happy to be there. Uh, we've great operators there and uh, we like those investments. So uh, tell us about your company and uh, the opportunities that your company provides to investors. Yeah, so we are a syndicator. So we are utilizing investors as limited partners and going out and acquiring deals. We don't do anything as a fund. So we do everything as a one-off opportunity and, and investors can join one deal or they can join a handful of deals, whichever you know fits their appetite of what they're looking to do. And yeah, we, we've been doing deals for about 15 years. And, and over that time frame, yeah, we, we've, we've certainly been in various asset classes. We've identified diff- different problems to solve and different opportunities to create value and then create uh, just longer term cash flow. Because I mean, our goal, our ultimate goal as an investment group is to provide cash flow. Uh, that's what we want to be doing. We are we are not a you know kind of like value add and flip type shop. That's not what we're doing. We're looking to improve things and create cash flow. That's our number one objective that we try to provide to investors. So would a person be better to go out and do this on their own or to invest with you? I think it depends what their long-term objective is. You know, if they're if they're eager to learn it and they want to, and they are excited to kind of get in the weeds and, and figure out how this industry works, I, I you know, I'm a person I, w- I would bet on myself, so I would say they should bet on themselves as well, and be in a situation that they could pick up a, a rental house and and be prepared to learn all the ups and downs with it, and, and listen to podcasts or read read books. Now, there's lots of information out there, and and I think that is the deep dive, you will learn the most right away by doing it that method. I think it's a little less riskier if you invest with a seasoned operator. I think uh, you know there, there's that avenue to do it because if you're going to buy it on your own, you, be- you better have the time uh, and you better have 
the ability to maybe financially handle some ups and downs as that happens. I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say you should buy something and be like, Hey, this is a guaranteed like bond income. That is not the case. It's like, there's going to be some problems. The pro forma is never accurate. There's always going to be something that happens in there. But I do think, I mean, I think owning directly is, is a, is a great avenue, but if that's not, you know, best for you investing with someone before you make that choice could be better. So I kind of see it both ways. You know, I got started and and was buying stuff on my own for me and that's how I learned. And, and I think it was a great way for me to do it. So if it fits the right person, I'd, I'd recommend doing it the same way, but you know, if it doesn't investing mm-hmm. it, investing with a seasoned operator or someone you can have a relationship with and learn from is a good way to do it. Well, share with us one of your most uh, difficult challenges in life and how did you come through that time and what did you learn from that experience? I mean, if you look at challenges in life versus challenging challenges in investments, you know, <laughs> certainly life is different. I would say a big challenge too. I mean, my, my wife and I lived at basically long distance for almost eight years, eight years as I was starting my business and growing and she was in, in medical school and residency. So that was, that was a challenge. But I think on top of that, just looking at how fast things change right now in the, in the world, and it can be in anything and, it, and even cycles in real estate, like there seems to be these mini ups and downs. I think uh, biggest challenge is really just trying to stay calm and maintain a long-term view on how you make it all your decisions. The longer that viewpoint you can have and the, and the more steady you can stay with your, your long-term goals, I think the better off you'd be. And, and challenge I've had where I've, I've chased like some short-term, you know, I was like, Oh, maybe I want to go do this. It's like, no, just stick with the long-term goals and, and stay focused on those. And, And I've always done better when I come back to those. Yeah. Well, Dave, it's been wonderful having you with us today. Very interesting conversation. Thanks for being with us today. And Enlightened Investors, thank you for joining us once again. It is you that makes our show. I know you'd enjoyed the show as much as I did. So take a moment to share, like, and subscribe. And head over to Apple Podcasts and please leave us a rating and a review. Until next time, live abundantly, and we'll see you in the next episode. Enlightened investors, wait, wait, don't go just yet. I just want to remind you about our recently launched webinar that you will not want to miss. If you're at all curious and would like to learn more about how real estate investing can diversify your investment portfolio, alleviate the anxiety associated with Wall Street swings, leverage your 401ks and IRAs to substantially increase the return on your investment, and do all of this with turnkey, hands-off, passive real estate investments, then you'll want to immediately go to stetalker.com forward slash webinar. In the webinar, we'll also address the common dubious investment schemes that you want to avoid. To access the webinar, go to stetalker.com forward slash webinar. I look forward to seeing you in the webinar. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance brought to you by Steve Talker Capital a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com. 